0: All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to be here on this day. It's a really exciting day. to get to see uh, all the baptisms, all those kind of visual representation of what's already happened, that transformation uh, that Pastor Joel was talking about. So um, like it was introduced earlier, my name's Stephen. Uh, my wife, Veronica, and our uh, four kids are here. One of them's downstairs, I think, but then the older three are in here with us. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity just to minister uh, with you guys this morning. Um, As was said earlier, my family and I ministered overseas uh, as missionaries in Liberia and in in Ukraine for some years. And when we were in Liberia um, as missionaries, we worked with a team. And when we were working with that team, it consisted of some Americans, but also some Swiss uh, people. Did did any of you know some Swiss families? Not the Robinson, but... (laughs) Okay, if you've ever met the the Swiss people that we met, they were great people, very loving, very giving. Um, But because of our cross-cultural team, we not only had to learn how to minister to the Liberian people in that culture, but also we had to learn a little bit about Swiss culture. uh, Because we, we learned very quickly, just because we had the same skin color and spoke the same language did not mean we thought the same. Uh, So we had to kind of overcome that, but this really interesting thing about our Swiss teammates, the first day in Liberia we got there, uh, the husband came over to where we were staying and gives us a DVD, Uh, and on the DVD it said, Switzerland more than chocolate and cheese. (laughs) I know you're thinking right, like clocks, right? They they left that one out, (laughs) but... So this should tell you something about our relationship. If you, When you introduce yourself, you have to give a DVD explaining your culture and your backstory. So really great people, but on that DVD, that kind of gave us an idea of what the Swiss culture was about. And um, at times, you know, our teammates were really good about living out their Swissness uh, to the point where sometimes it was a little overwhelming, um, but they definitely lived out the idea that they were more than chocolate and cheese. Uh, They had the Swiss flag here on their shirts, on their cars, on their house, on the flag. It was everywhere. Everywhere they went, it screamed, I am Swiss, (laughs) in case there was any doubt. And um, I'll give them credit, though. They were able to learn culture and adapt in in ways so that they were still effective in ministry without losing any of their Swissness. And uh, everyone who ever met them knew who they were representing, right, what they were representing. And as I've been reading through 1 Peter, as I was reading through this week specifically, you know, those Swiss teammates came to mind. And uh, and they kept coming to mind and I was really convicted with that thought. Do I represent Christ with the same passion and kind of in-your-faceness that my teammates used to represent their home country with? You know, and as I thought about it, I had to say, I don't think so. Like, probably not. Like, to my shame. And um, so when you think of the church, right, we live life as the church, when we do that, what does our community see? Do they see us as this embassy of Jesus, living life on mission in our community? Because when they see us, like, do, do they see us as that embassy? Because when they see us, they can't help but see the Christ-likeness, right, our christian that we're just exuding, that we're representing. You know what, one thing I hope never happens to any church, but especially this church, is that when people meet you in community, the only thing that comes to their mind is that you're a sanctuary across the street from the fire department, and that you're just a a place where socials and services happen, right? Because that's not why we're here. That's not who you are as a church. You know, living as the church means that we're living by grace, through the Spirit, Right as God's representatives, right under the reign of King Jesus, to the glory of our heavenly Father, and I hope that that when you engage with community, people know without a doubt that you are the church and that you are so much more than sanctuaries and socials. Now, would you open your Bibles to First Peter with me today? And uh, we'll be continuing uh, kind of this study through First Peter. I think you've already been in First Peter, right? Uh, be continuing. And um, as Peter describes a few aspects of what it means to be everyday church, right? Everyday missions uh, is what we're going to share today. And, uh, you know, you've been in this series for a few weeks. I'm sure you're aware of who Peter's audience, what audience was, audience is. Um, you know, I think in the past when I've approached this text, I've had some assumptions of who those people were. Um, that they were these Christians that were scattered throughout the region because of either disobedience or persecution, right? You read the Bible, when are God's peoples typically scattered in the Old Testament? Usually because of disobedience, right? The Exodus and Babylon and Egypt. Um, In the New Testament, probably more because of persecution. But when I was kind of going over this text again this week, I I came to the thought or the conclusion that I think Peter's... um, audience are really people that were living the Christian life well. You know, they weren't in disobedience, I don't think. They were They were living the Christian life well. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1, just real quick, to remind ourselves of who Peter's writing to. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Uh, if you have a different translation, it might read, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout the region, and then he names the various areas and the towns. So as I looked at that this week and worked through the the text and the language and word studies, I realized that I think Peter was writing to people who were not necessarily scattered because of disobedience or persecution, but they were, or because of their own sin. I think it's very likely that Peter's audience were actually living in the very hometown that they had always lived in. And they're living among the people that they had always lived with and done business with and seen every day. I think it's very likely that the thing that happened was that now they've come to faith in Christ and their relationship with their community is now different. Right? Their relationship with how they interact with people is now different. So they don't really fit in anymore. Their location may not have changed, but their relationship has changed. And now as they engage with people in their community, they're feeling like they are strangers and exiles living in this strange country while they're still actually living in their hometown. Like, we can relate to that. Even even those of us who have moved from place to place, uh, as a believer, when you're living in a non-Christian culture, it feels weird, right? You feel like you don't fit in. You feel like there's something different. So when, when Peter uses that phrase, sojourners and exiles, throughout the, the letter, I want to suggest that he's describing to us the way that every believer will, will feel as long as we're living our life in this world, as long as we're living our lives on this side of heaven, where we have that feeling, everyday exiles, everyday uh, ministries. So throughout the, the letter, uh, Peter shares this mission strategy. And, and he shares it because he knows that as we're living in this world, the world can be hostile, right? The, the world is hostile against Christianity, against biblical Christianity. So when we come to the main text we're going to look at today is First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. If you want to flip the page over there, um, Peter shares a mission strategy that I wanted to share with you today. Uh, and it, it's going to help us to live out our Christ-likeness, right? He's going to help us to represent Christ in such a way that people are drawn to Jesus and will glorify God through their repentance and faith. So he, he gives us this mission strategy and how to do that in the context of our everyday lives. And as we look at this mission strategy for the believer, I'd like you to remember this. There's a question we're going to try to answer today. I think there's a question that the text answers for us, and that question is this. How do we represent Christ well as foreigners in a strange land? Hey, well, Hopefully at the end we'll have a, a good answer to that. And I'll give you a spoiler all right? Spoilers are all on the internet that's all about spoilers, right? Um, it's got a lot to do with our conduct and our character. So let's look at the word of God together this morning. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we just want to thank you so much for your word, and thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, and you've given us this, this mission strategy of how we can f- represent you well uh, in this community and in whatever community in which you've planted us. And I uh, got I just pray for wisdom and insight in how to do that. And just in the midst of our everyday lives, how do we represent you well as strangers in this land? God, as citizens of heaven, how do we represent you well here? And I pray you would give us insight, wisdom, the ability through your spirit um, just to live well on mission. And we'll thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first word people, people, Peter says is beloved. Can we stop there for a second? He addresses right, his audience as Beloved. Now, this is this, an honored title that accompanies everyone whose identity is in Christ. Like, we, we celebrated some of that today, right, with baptism. If you're a born-again Christian here today, you need to know that you are beloved, right? You are God's beloved. That's how you should feel, right? And that describes who you are, is God's beloved. Beloved, it's the super important part of our identity in Christ. But it's really a climax to a crescendo that Peter's been building since verse 9. I know we didn't read that. But if you were to look back at verse 9, Peter, Peter starts this crescendo saying, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the very possession of God, who God proudly calls his own, and he ex- has graciously extended his mercy. Beloved, that's you. You are God's beloved. All those things are you. That's part of your identity. Now, do you sometimes feel like you don't fit in? Or that, that you're different from the people in the, in the community or people that are around you? Well, if you do, you're in good company because you are different. Right? And if, and if you've ever had that feeling, the message of First Peter is for you. That's who Peter's writing to, to you. And this, we're enabled to proclaim God's glory... Right, the reality of the one that rescued us from darkness, brought us into this marvelous light, and, and it was illustrated beautifully this morning by the baptism. You know, Having people live out their faith, what did he say, live, live out loud, right? It was one of, the, one of the kids that came up here. Like, that's great. That's baptism is. It's that illustration of what God has already done, and we want everybody to know it you know the sad reality is is that we're trying to reach a, a community with the gospel that quite frankly doesn't want to be reached. You know we're reaching people with the gospel that don't want to be reached and the only thing that's going to keep us engaged and I think this is why Peter puts this in here is to remember remember our, our identity beloved beloved by God. You can face any temptation, any suffering, any distraction if we can remember who we are in Christ. So Peter equips us with this mission strategy based on who we are as our identity in Christ, right? Beloved in Christ, with this simple mission strategy to represent and reflect Christ. Okay, so we're going to look at those two things and then see how he illustrates it out in the text. So as we represent Christ, Peter says we're to be noticed for our character, be noticed for our character, right? Notice for who we are. So that's, if you're taking notes, that'll be the first kind of point there. Um, Peter gives in this text, verse 11 and 12, two exhortations, right? Two encouragements, but one of them is negative and one of them is positive. And, And he gives us this as part of his mission strategy that we need to incorporate into our character if we're to successfully live this everyday missions in our community. So the first exhortation, right? Encouragement is in verse 11. Peter gives us this negative. He says to abstain. Look at verse 11 again. He says, Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, right, which wage war against your, your soul. Abstain. It's not a word we use every day. Um, it, it basically means just to choose not to do something. Right? So choose not to be connected to or tethered to the passions of the flesh. Um, as we live in community we have to choose not to do certain things and then later Peter will say you need to choose to do to do other things right we need to be known for what we don't do as well as for what we do in community so what are these passions of the flesh and if you have been going through the whole book you'll remember in chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 Peter says well those passions are the passions of your former ignorance meaning the passions that were a part of our character when we were unbelievers. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says, well, those passions, he gives us a list. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. What Peter's saying is before you were a Christian, that was the air you breathed. That was the water you drank, right? That was who you are. That was the world that you lived in. You were tethered to that world, and you didn't have God's indwelling spirit to help you resist it, to help you abstain for it. But now, beloved, you're born again. Now that you belong to Jesus, he has cut that cord that tethers us to those passions. And we don't have to be under the influence of the world's culture anymore. Right? We don't have to because of the Holy Spirit in us. So we're able to represent Christ. But representing Christ in our community well means standing out. Right? It means being different. It means having the kind of character that chooses not to be tethered to those worldly passions. Why? You can look at verse 11. It ends with the phrase, which wage war against your soul? Really interesting choice of words. Um, While fully inspired by the Lord, I don't think that was original to Peter. Because if you look at Greek writings, a guy named Plato, maybe you've heard of him, um, wrote earlier a similar phrase. See, he had this theory that our actions in life um, would, the passions that we lived for in life, when we passed away, would somehow keep us tethered to this world. And he, he wrote it out in this kind of illustrated, macabre-type type deal, where souls are kind of tethered to their headstones. Um, and while we wouldn't agree with Plato's theology... It's an interesting concept that the souls, our souls are literally being stained by what we engage with in this world. And that, I think, is what Peter is warning us against in verse 11. He says, Beloved, keep yourselves from the passions because they are fighting to stain your soul. Right? It's a war going on that we have to actively be against. Beloved, what you do, right? what you believe affects who you are and it'll change you. Do you want to be able to to effectively represent Christ in your community? Then keep your souls free of stains, right? That that's kind of literally a breakdown of what he is saying there. Um, you know, when we our kids like shoes. You know, and one of one of our, our daughters has a couple years ago or a year ago bought these like really nice, uh, or was given these nice Air Force Nike Air Force. Anybody else have any? Anybody else want any? I want some. I don't know, but they're like white. And I have no idea how she keeps them clean. Like, when we lived in Liberia, these men and women, they would show up to church wearing white, head to toe. And I grew up in North Carolina, and the dirt's very similar. It's like red clay. Like, it gets everywhere. So I don't know how in the world they made it from their mud brick house to church, walking along a muddy red road, and they kept their, their clothes clean. It's like, it's like these Air Force, they've been like a year and a half old, and they're still white you know, I've had these shoes for like two months and they're gray. I'm I'm just joking. They're older than that. But I like cannot, like I would drive to church in Liberia in our Jeep and I would still be dirty. So I have no idea. But it's that, it's that idea of we get stained very easily. And Peter's saying, listen, if you want to be effective for Christ in your community, you've got to live stain free. That doesn't mean we're perfect, right? But it means through the Holy Spirit's empowering we're able to abstain from those things right we're able to choose not to engage with them anymore because it changes us we can see it in our families right Preteens, teenagers college age young adult mom and dad grandma and grandpa whatever you let into your mind and heart will have a long-lasting effect on who you are in a way it stains your soul we need, to, we need to be careful. So a little mini application point here. So Peter is saying, listen, you want to be effective in engaging Christ, and engaging your community with Christ? Then represent Christ with your character. How do we do that? Be stain-free, right? Commit to being stain-free. Be a part. Uh, ask God to make this a reality in your life right? Abstain from those worldly passions. Commit to be staying free. So Peter gives us an idea of what we should not do. And uh, so they didn't start the timer. So I'm like, I, I was waiting for it to count down to zero. So <laughs> I have no idea when to stop now. So um, I kept saying that he kept saying there's a hook that comes out and, and pulls you off stage when you need to be done. So um, so. In order to represent Christ with our character, right? Be stain free or stainless as we can be, right? Thank God that, that Jesus covered our sins with his blood, right? That we are presented as holy and blameless before the Lord. Uh, now we need to live that out in front of our community. So Peter says what not to do, right? Uh, don't be stained by the worldly passions as part of your character as you represent Christ in your community. Now in verse 12, Um, he shares what we should do, or what should be part of our character. What should not be part of our character? The stains of all these worldly passions. What should be part of our character? Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right. So abstain from passions of the flesh. What should we do? We should... We should keep is the word there. There's two two verbs that, that Peter uses, abstain and keep. Keep. We should do, strive for honorable actions which point us to Christ. It's, it's not super complicated, but it's a very it's a simple strategy. Okay? Be known for your character and your conduct. And part of your character is not being stained by the by the passions of the flesh, but being known for your good works, right? Being known for your honorable actions. Uh, And in that verse 12, honorable and good deeds are are connected. They're directly related to one another. As believers, we are called to this honorable conduct, which is nothing less than good deeds, right? Our lives are to be filled with good works, right? We see that in other parts of Scripture. And those, as we know you know, Paul and James kind of go back and forth about this a little bit, or we can go back and forth when we read them. Uh, good works doesn't earn us salvation, right? Doesn't earn us favor with God in any way, but they express, right? They demonstrate God's favor, right? As we live a, a godly character, God's favor is demonstrated to our community. It's demonstrated to a watching world as we express our obedience to Jesus. You know, Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think Peter had that in his mind when he was writing this. How do we represent Christ well in our community? Do what Jesus said, right? (laughs) Let our light shine so that when people see us, they may see our good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Yesterday I was working at a Habitat for Humanity project in our area. And it's been, I think I've been working there on Saturdays now for what, three, four weeks maybe. There, there, there were, there were usually Habitat built houses from the ground up. Uh, this one they were given like a, an 1800s house, a uh, rehab. that were Like half of it got burnt and so we're doing a rehab right now, and, and um, so it's kind of a learning curve every week. You know, what do we need to do? And, the, you know, the studs are true 2x4s if you're in building, and we're building with, like, not really true 2x4s, so nothing lines up, and you've got to do all this stuff. So one of the ladies, as we were interacting with, uh, as I was kind of helping to lead the construction crew, came up to me, and she was like, are you always this nice? And honestly, the first thing I thought was, well, you need to ask my kids that. <laughs> but she said, you know, it's just so refreshing to have somebody that's not like yelling at us. And that, that's just, she's it's just a joy to hear you talk to other people. And that three to four week investment, in one sense, paid off. That the light that I was trying to shine for Christ paid off in that conversation. And we were immediately able to, to talk about the gospel. You know, she said, why are you so happy? Like, man, if that's not a softball, like, what is, right? So I was able to talk to her about, about Christ. And she, she professes faith in Christ, but, you know, I don't know her heart. Um, she obviously saw a difference in the way that I live and interact from other people. So I think that's, that's kind of what Peter's calling us to. As you're doing whatever you're already doing, do it with gospel intentionality, right? Let your light so shine. I think Peter had those words of Jesus kind of going off in his mind as he's writing this, right? He's remembering. So when we do good works, we're really, all we're doing is we're expressing our calling to our community, right? We're making our faith visible. Now, here's the, uh, tell me if this is exactly what you're thinking, or maybe close. When, I, when, when you hear me say all that, okay, engage, engage people in your community, you say, all right, I hear you 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 haven't seen my day timer right you don't know what schedule i have and i just don't have any free time to do to schedule anything to do anything extra like i get it like we have four kids and two cats somehow and and we're we're busy too like this past two weeks has just been like hey when we lived overseas it was so nice to have like a slower pace and a and when we came back here it's been like running on eight cylinders and two of ours are burnt out. You know, we're just trying to keep up and just school and and just everything is just busy, busy. Our schedules are full, so I get it. A lot of good stuff going on, um, but it's just busy. Let me share this observation with you. Peter isn't asking us to do anything extra. He's not asking you to add anything extra to your schedule. Engaging... In community it is an everyday thing, right? So that means engaging in everyday missions means that as you live your ordinary life, be missional. It's kind of like the Great Commission in Matthew 28. As you're going, right, as you're teaching, as you're baptizing, it's kind of the same idea here. As you're living your ordinary life, be missional, right? Make sure that you reflect Christ-like character. Make sure that, that your conduct points people to to Jesus, right, the people that you're already around. Think for just a minute, think of five people that you see on a daily or weekly basis without going out of your way whatsoever, All right, just think of it. one, two, three, got them? Could be the lady at the bank, could be your bus driver, right, could be the cafeteria lady if you're at school, um, could be your pastor, um, okay, those people are in your circle of influence, right? Peter's Peter's not telling us, go get a new circle of influence. He's like, no, you need to live out this strategy among the people that you already talk with, right? The people that you already engage with in your hometown, in your area, uh, without having to add anything else, anything extra, right? So, Engage those that are already in our circle of influence. I was looking through this book, uh, Everyday Church, which I think is a resource that you guys are using for this uh, series, and there was a list of—I think I put them in the slides up here. There was a list of examples, like, okay, how can we live as everyday missions in our everyday life, right? Without adding something extra, right? So some of the examples they give, and here is—is is eat with non-Christians. Okay, how many of us eat lunch on a quasi-regular basis? Right, sometimes twice. Right? <laughs> uh, you got to eat lunch with somebody, right? Why not? A, a, a pastor friend of mine said, I, tr- "I make it." You might laugh, anyway. You could make a joke about this, I'm sure, about pastors eating lunch with people. But uh, he says, "I make it a point to never eat lunch alone." It's like I got to eat lunch anyway. I might as well eat lunch with people that I could minister to and reach out to. And so, eat lunch with a non-believer, right? Eat lunch with somebody at work that does not know the Lord. You got to eat lunch anyway. Uh, no extra time there. Walk, don't drive. When we lived in Ukraine, this was like we walked everywhere, and you could talk to people, interact with people. In the U.S., it's a little harder because we're less pedestrian-friendly, um, unless you live in like New York or Philadelphia or somewhere like that. Um, like I try to walk in Alliance where we live, and um, yeah, they're just, just not—they weren't thinking about walkers <laughs> when they designed the city. So be safe, but yeah, maybe walk, don't drive. Be irregular, and I try to do this. Um, you know, where do you get your oil changed, right? Where do you buy, get your hair cut? You know, where do you do A, B, C, D? Do it at the same place. Even if you pay $5 more, you're investing for eternity in that person's life. Um, go to the same mechanic. Uh, a hobby with non-Christians. Do you have any musicians in here? I know we had a couple on the stage. Yeah, don't, don't be shy. You need to, all right. If you're a musician, I play the tuba. Okay, what's the first thing that came to your mind? Be honest. Veggie tails, right? <laughs> so I play the tuba, which is not like, you know, people are like, oh, that's an awesome instrument. They're like, oh, okay um so but i've i try to i've been for the last three years the two and a half that we've lived here i've tried to get in with other like music groups so finally after two years i was able to play with the alliance symphony orchestra and the there's a brass band of the western reserve and just different places and you know what those groups are full of people who don't know jesus so i get to do something that i enjoy doing while also be out be on mission right? It's nothing extra. So anyway, they're a different volunteering community. Uh, serve, serve your neighbors. Be careful about that one. We have a neighbor we try to serve, but she loves to talk. So you're serving, you know, a good hour <laughs> uh, just to say hello with her, but it's worth it, right? Because you're engaging with them in community. So those are some really good uh, examples in that book uh, if you're going to read through it. But remember, right? Our, our environment is hostile towards Christians. Uh, towards true biblical Christians, I'd say. Um, So we need to make sure that we're living, engaging them uh, in the context of everyday life. Um, Keep doing the same things you're already doing, right? Except with gospel intentionality. All right, so we're representing Christ with stain-free souls as much as possible, right? With the Holy Spirit's help. uh, And then honoring God with our conduct. Now, did you notice here, again, I I didn't see this in the text unless my translation, like, cut it out, um, that Peter, in Peter's mission strategy, there's no mention of sanctuaries, services, courses, programs, children's ministries, activities, youth group. He didn't say anything about any of that stuff. Food pantries. But what does he do? He encourages us to live our ordinary lives for God's glory. That's a super simple strategy. Live out your character and your conduct every day. Uh, in the book here, the authors wrote this phrase, and I think we'll have it on the screen here. True mission does not take place through attractional events. Right back in the 90s, the attractional movement was really big. Right? You come to church and see the circus on stage while we preach the gospel or whatever. Um, it doesn't take place through attractional events, but through attractional communities. I thought that was good. Right Through attractional communities as we represent Christ each and every day. So how attractional is your community? Like you're a community, right? You are a community that has covenanted together here to worship, to serve, to praise the Lord, and to reach, your, reach those uh, who you live near. So how attractional are your small groups, right? as your church or your community? Um, I think that's what Peter's challenging here, us here with. So kind of first little mini application was, stay commit to be stain-free, right, when we're focusing on our character. The second half of that is to make a gospel impact in our community every day, right? How, how do we do this? Strive to make a gospel impact in our community every day by displaying the kind of character and conduct that draws people to Jesus, right? Again, nothing extra, just being a Christian, like a biblical Christian in a culture that really doesn't, doesn't want you to be. There was a missionary named Paris Reedhead. You ever heard of him? I hadn't either <laughs> until I heard a, a sermon. It was back, I think, in the 50s or 60s. Went to Central Africa Republic or the Congo, one of the two. And uh, you know, he, he trained to go to the mission field. He's like, I'm going to go to take the pagans, the gospel. And he said, I found out once I got there, they already knew about Jesus and they didn't want him. There's a lot of people in your community that are like that. They already know about Jesus. They just don't want him. So how are we going to persuade them, right, by living out this uh, mission strategy? So in verses 11 and 12, Peter encourages us um, how to be Christ followers with this strategy. And then he now, I'm going to hopefully, in just a, for a few minutes, illustrate what that looks like in a couple contexts uh, in, in everyday life, right? He illustrates this in the text. If you were to look at, we won't read all these verses, but First Peter chapter 2, verse 13-13. Through chapter three, verse seventeen. If you write take notes in your Bible, you could almost put brackets around those verses as kind of bookends, because Peter is using these um, situations, these relational situations, to illustrate what verse eleven and twelve looks like. Right, verse eleven and twelve says, Keep yourself unstained by the passions of the flesh, and live as good, honorable, uh, Christians, right? Having good and honorable contact and that conduct and I'm going to show you how that fleshes out in everyday life. These real life illustrations of how to practically live out our holiness. So we're given several relationships there and we're going to read a few of these passages but in chapter 2 verse 13 to 3 uh, 16 or 17 there he illustrates he gives us several relationships or relational connections government, workplace and family. Right? And, and we, again, don't have time to do a deep dive in all this. You're probably going to do that at another time. But let's read a few of these verses together uh, to get an idea of how Peter wants us to apply verse 11 and 12. Right? So verse 11 and 12, Okay. focus on your conduct and your, and your character. Right. Unstained by the world, godly honor, honorable conduct in the context of chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but live as servants of God. What, what relationship connection is that? The government, right? As much as you might not want to hear it. <laughs> right, the government. The government. Okay, what's the next one? Look at, look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Okay, what relationships fear would that be? Work, right? Workplace. So the government relationships, your workplace relationships, uh, and now chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then down in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, guys, if your life verse is First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, you probably should get a new life verse. <laughs> or you're not married. <laughs> One of the two. So what relationship, what with, with sphere was that? Family, okay? So government, work, family. Those are three of the main areas of, of your life where you spend your time, right? Um, so after reading through those illustrations, what one key concept is repeated and reinforced in every single one? Submission. Submission. He, he instructs each group to submit. Or to be subject to. Now, that is not a popular word today. It's not a popular concept today, but it's interesting that it's the concept Peter uses to focus, us, focus on describing how we are to live our life for Christ in the world. Submission. The word submit here, it communicates a voluntary action, right? deferring to someone else. Um, it's the recognition of an ordered structure, like a military term, everything falling in line. Was anyone in the service when they called you to attention? What happened? You snapped the attention, right? Uh, I was never in the service. Thank you for serving, by the way. Uh, I was never in the service. I was in the marching band, which is a poor, poor, (laughs) poor connection. Um, we suffered in marching band, um. But when they called us to attention, we had to come to attention and your line had to be straight. So it's kind of that that example. When we were called to attention, that line needs to be straight, right? We were submitted to that line and uh, in a much less important way. (laughs) Uh, But still, that that idea is there. So Peter is arguing that submission is the highest uh, indicator of Christian grace and goodness. um, Because without the Holy Spirit... In these three categories, you're probably not going not to gonna want to submit, right? You're not going to love doing that. Um, but what Peter is doing here is he's not, illustri- he's not emphasizing submission as this needs to be the foundation of your faith. No, what he's doing is saying that the submission needs to describe the character you have because you're trying to be like Jesus. What Peter, he's describing our goal as Christians to be like our Savior, If you were to read 1 Peter 2, you would see that meekness and submissiveness of Jesus is at the very center of his whole argument. It keeps coming back to that. So Peter's constantly pointing us to the one that we're supposed to imitate. So we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Again, not not blindly following this, this order of rules, but out of love for our Savior. Right, imitating what who he is and what he did. So the idea is that as a representative of Christ, our character and conduct is going to look different, right? Because we're not going to intentionally get out of line. Right, we're going to fall in line because that's what Christ has called us to do. As difficult as it might be, Um, even if we're underneath an authority that we don't like or maybe is unjust. And by doing that, most of our community is going to look at us as strangers, right, and foreigners. So why does Peter share this strategy for living on missions in this way, right, through submission? I think it's because it's so countercultural. There's a big aspect of that, very countercultural to our fallen natures. And most of those areas, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, we're not going to want to submit, right? It's not natural. Uh, It would be extremely hard and almost impossible to submit, but I think true biblical submission is one of the best ways we can highlight what godly character and conduct looks like. So let me talk about those three areas, and then we'll, we'll close, because again, I have no idea what time I'm supposed to stop. So 1230, is that normal time? <laughs> um, so let's think about government for a minute. What is the normal cultural response to government? overall rebellion pushback complaint there's bribery maybe sometimes involved dishonesty slander people that are working in government abuse of power lying deception Um, what do those sound like those passions of the flesh that peter talked about now peter is calling us to you know we, we hear a lot about civil disobedience I think what this passage here, whether we like it or not, is calling us to civil obedience. That submission and obedience extends to those in authority over us, even if they're ungodly. Now, we could discuss government and when we should submit, when we shouldn't. And uh, I think Pastor Joel is going to set up a podcast to do that or something, probably. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I doubt he's going to do that. um, We could do that, and there are valid times to do that. What I hope you take away from this is that Peter is sharing with us that our default mode as representatives of Christ needs to be one of submission, right, unless there's a biblical reason not to. Now, that needs to be kind of our default mode. Why? Because that's how we live as citizens of heaven, right? That's how citizens of heaven live. We're noticed for our conduct and our character, So as these unstained followers, we're to to represent, we're to submit to government through our respect, our honesty, our transparency, and so forth. Um, So each of these illustrations, right, government, workplace, family, I think Peter's teaching us that our Christ-like submission is going to be the greatest apologetic for the gospel. Uh, I know we keep kind of coming back to that, and I think it's super important. Okay, so government, um, workplace, Right? How does the world expect us to respond? Well, you can turn on any office sitcom, and that's pretty much what the world expects, right? Um, the office, right? There's a lot of funny stuff that happens in that show. Um, how much of it is how Christ would really like us to respond to our boss? Maybe some things, um, but usually the funnier it is, the more kind of worldly cultural it is. Um, you know, I worked in several offices. I worked for the government. Um, so this is like, this is a Venn diagram, right? Where work and government overlap uh, for the housing authority. And um, so you have like a workplace and government there, but there was disrespect. You know, everyone was looking out for themselves. People would take pens and whatever, you know, uh, clips and um I I would always finish my inspections, and then I would come back and work on things. And the guys working with me was like, "What are you doing? Like, we have five inspections per day, and we stretch those bad boys out, you know. So we're done at the end of the day. We're done. We don't have to come back in the office." (laughs) And uh, so they were like, "You need to slow down, man. You need to um, not not go so fast." But anyway, that that was what the world expected. Um, So how can we model the kind of godly character that Peter is calling us to here? again we submit to those the rules that we were given when we got the job right honesty respect even if our bosses aren't worthy of it um what about family okay in chapter 3 verse 1 peter says wives submit and then in verse 7 he says husbands in a way they're submitting as well right? honor your wife um, so, why does Peter pick these specific illustrations, like government, workplace, and family? Maybe specifically family. Like, There's a reason why he picks these specific illustrations to highlight how we're, how we're to live out this strategy. And how often do you think wives were mistreated? Pretty often. How, how often do you think slaves or servants were mistreated? Pretty often. How often do we see, let's say, for example, the Roman government potentially mistreating the people who they were ruling over? Pretty often. So I think Peter's using these illustrations really to show us how the people that are persecuted the most, even if you were in that position, you should still respond this way. How countercultural would it be to have a wife submit to her husband out of love instead of fear. Like how countercultural would that be? He gives us these examples, again, especially the one of wives, because they were the most mistreated, I think, in these relational situations. And even in that, Christianity was completely countercultural, valuing the wives instead of putting them down. So each of those illustrations helps us see what modeling godly conduct looks like. What submission looks like in those contexts and how we can use that to engage with missions each day. So when we truly submit to the Lord and his spirit and his word, we're enabled to live out godly character and conduct. So that's really the answer to our question today. Like if you remember the question, I said the text would answer, how do we live? How do we represent Christ well as foreigners in a strange land? Submit to the Lord and his word not to the world and its culture, right? Submit to the Lord and his word, not to the world and its culture, right? Because that's constantly pulling on you. So we constantly need that reminder. But what does that look like? If you were to look at uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, he says, have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, right? Not repaying evil, for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. Now that's a further flushing out of what this looks like. What representing Christ and reflecting him looks like in our community. So as we live in submission to the Lord, right? As we live in submission to his word, we're given a platform to live this out in our community. So as we live in our community we're to commit to be stain free right, abstain from those passions of the flesh, right, we are to make a godly impact in your community every day, right, live out that honorable character, right, honorable conduct, because by displaying that kind of godly character and conduct, people are drawn to who? They're drawn to Jesus. And then the last is submit to the Lord, and out of that submission, right, Let, let ministry flow into your ordinary everyday life, so as we live our lives in this community, right, our, our passage is challenging us to live on mission and demonstrate to our community that this church is so much more than just sanctuaries and socials. Right? That's not who you are. You are the body that's actively engaging your community. So as you represent and reflect Christ this week, will you look at one more verse with me? And let this verse kind of be the verse that you carry with you this week. To, to help you to live this out. I hope it's an encouragement with you. You're still in 1st Peter chapter 3, look at verse 15. And with this we'll close. Okay, reflect and represent Jesus in your community. Verse 15 says, "But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect." Right, with everything that you do this week, honor the Lord as holy. Right? Let that be the, the motivator. Let that be your source of power, your source of strength to reflect and represent Christ well in this community. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord and God, we're just so thankful that you give us your word. You give us instructions. You give us encouragement. Uh, God, that you just give us all that we need to reflect you and represent you well. And uh, God, I just pray for the ability to do that. And I pray for Community Bible Church that you would just help them as a community covenanted together uh, to live on mission for you here, that it would be just an everyday part of their DNA, that as, as each one of us engages with our circle of influence, it would be a natural and ordinary to um, just reflect you, not to fall behind the pattern of the world, but to fall uh, behind the pattern of your word. And God, I pray you give us the strength to do that. It's not easy. Uh, but God, I pray that you would help us to respond to your word in such a way that it becomes part of just who we are, our DNA, the air we breathe, uh, just the world that we live in, uh, that when people see us, they would see our Christianness, right? They would see our Christ likeness, and it would be there would be no doubt who we're representing and who we're serving. So God thank you for this this church, this ministry, uh, the place that you've planted them. And I gotta just pray that you would help us to be on mission and do what you've called us to do every day. And we'll praise you uh, as you work through us and as we're just allowed to participate in what you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.